You're listening to IT Market Buzz, sponsored by Copy Punch IT. Here's your host, Kimberly Duran. So we know from a content marketing point of view, we know that buyers are desperate for information they can use during their actual decision-making process, especially their decision-making meetings where they have everybody at the table. Do you have any advice for what we can give to them to help facilitate their conversations? I just had something like that yesterday where I am... um talking with uh, talking with the CSO of a company uh, and the regional vice president wants to bring me in to train and um the regional the, the CSO said well this sounds interesting and I'm I'm happy to back my my colleague the regional vice president but we have some stuff we have to figure out here so they did not invite me onto their buying decision team, which usually does happen, even on the first call, actually. But what I did last night was I sent them a, a list of facilitative questions um, that they would actually have to answer for themselves um, before they could decide to uh, to buy. So I'm actually going to look for them and see if I can even find them for you. Um, I sent them a very long list. Here, here are some facilitator questions. I sent them last night. Who would need to buy into whatever training we decide to choose, and how will we know which buy-in issues need to be addressed to ensure there is minimal resistance from the group we decide to train? What will we need to do or know in advance to ensure that whatever training we do will both encompass our corporate culture and fit with what we're already doing? I have about 20 of these questions that I posed and I gave to them, um, and they're going to put that on the table. So I have, I'm already part of their buying decision team, whether or not they invited me, <laughs> and will be helping them make the decisions they need to make because the decisions they need to make aren't about my training or not. I mean, ultimately, they will have to decide whether buying facilitation will work for them versus other kinds of sales training. But first... Their their sales folks have never had training, and they have sales folks all over the world. They have a lot of big decisions to make. Do they want one kind of training around the world? Who is going to implement it? Do they want to have internal training? Do they would they want to have a vendor do it? Who would be involved in supervising? Because the regional vice president is not going to do it. They don't have any internal trainers. They have huge decisions to make. So getting my data in front of them. At this point, is far too early. And by the time I'm already on their buying decision team and I've helped them make the decision, I would be the obvious choice, seems to me. They're not going to start looking for other trainers once they've decided they're going to make the changes they need to make. Mm-hmm. I'm already on the team at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, and you have gotten some very real results from using this technique. Yeah, salespeople have a hard time believing it, but my clients don't. My clients get get these results. We get between 600 and 800% increase over using just the sales model alone. Remember, this is a change management model. And what this does is it collapses the the front-end buying journey, that, that human side that sales just doesn't reach. So by mm-hmm. helping them make the kinds of decisions that they need to make up front, we can collapse 
the sales cycle. The, the time it takes buyers to come up with their own answers is the length of the sales cycle. The other thing mm-hmm. it does is you can tell on the very first call whether this is going to be a prospect or not. So if I say to somebody, how are you currently adding new sales skills to the ones you're currently tra- uh, you're training your folks? And they say, um, the guy says, well, um, I read a lot of books, and when I read something I like, I hand it out, I buy them and hand it out to the group, and then we discuss it. Uh-huh. So that that is not a win-win situation there. There is somebody <laughs> who, um, who's not, not doing well on the side of excellence. So then I'll say something like, so how would you know that one book or set of ideas over another would give your team what they require for excellence? And if he gives me another, oh, well, I know, I mean, I, this is not a buyer. But mm-hmm. when somebody say, well, we bring in people all the time. We sit around and figure out what we need. Then we do some research. Then we start talking to people. Then, we, then I know it's a, so I can help somebody manage, mitigate the distance between their thinking and their acting. Whether it's a prospect who didn't even think about um, a any kind of a change, or a prospect who is actually looking for change. So we can get the right prospect, we can get them to make better decisions much quicker, and then we can get rid of the people who are not going to buy much earlier on rather than wait 11 months and follow them around and close two of them or whatever. Now, Sharon Drew, I really love how you came about this wisdom. Can you talk a little bit about your hands-on experience with, with sales and people buying? I was in sales for most of my life. Uh, I was actually fired from every job I ever had because I always <laughs> wanted to take over and I always knew what the problem was. And um, being slightly obnoxious and brash didn't hurt. <laughs> so, But it, it did hurt in business. It did not hurt in sales. It was welcome in sales. And um, I couldn't figure out why buyers were so stupid. I, it was obvious. <laughs> no, really, I could see I could see what the problem was. They liked me. They liked my solution. And they didn't buy and, you know, when when you start, you think everybody is a prospect, which when you're doing buying facilitation, everybody is not a prospect. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing sales and there's a need, then everyone's a prospect. So you run after all these people for six months, a year, or whatever, and then only 10% of them end up buying, and you've wasted 90% of your time. So I knew there was something really wrong with, with well, and I thought it was the buyer. I thought the buyer was just stupid. I started up a company in England, a little tech company in the 80s. And I realized as an entrepreneur what the problem was. The problem was that, oh, so let me go back. In my company, I hired my then husband to be the tech guy. He was very good at what he did. He wasn't so good in the marriage end. So we started going through a divorce. So here I am hiring new employees. We're hiring a whole bunch of tech people. We have 48 tech people. And there was my husband doing a great job, except we were having these little snipey little comments and fights during meetings, and it was nasty stuff. I needed a team-building course because we had so many different kinds of people from all different places that needed to be working together, but... Did I do a team building course with my ex, almost ex-husband or not? Did I wait till we were divorced? 
or was our therapy going to work and we were going to be okay? So I couldn't do the team building course. Did I need one? You betcha. Mm-hmm. Also, we had to move because we were out- outgrowing ourselves. But my investors kept coming over from the States, never knew when they were going to show up. They wanted to have us join this other um, company and maybe get a larger space, and that was being discussed, and there was a merger happening with them. And So there was all this internal stuff going on. The fact that I needed a team building course, the fact that I needed new new offices and there were these realtors coming over all the time and these training uh, company people coming over all the time, I needed their solution. They were terrific. I loved them. But I couldn't manage what was going on internally. And at that point, I realized what the difference was between the sales model and the buying decision, and they didn't fit together. And at that point, I began developing my buying facilitation model that helped me as uh, an entrepreneur make the decisions that I needed to make internally. And then I taught this to my tech folks because they kept saying that the, their buyers were stupid, that their their clients didn't know what they wanted, and they ended up wasting all this time. So I taught my tech folks this material so they could get their clients to get the right decisions um, and their ducks in a row so they could proceed with their technology. And then I taught my salespeople. So that's how that came about. I love uh, I love your personal insights into that. So I want to hit on also that your uh, your work fits really well with sales enablement technology. So do you see any opportunities to combine buyer facilitation and technology? And 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 by the way, the term is buying facilitation. A lot of people get that confused lately for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. I I coined that term twenty uh, something years ago, um, and in those days. <laughs> People really made fun of me for using the term facilitation. Um, <laughs> you're laughing, but my company is Morgan Facilitations. My training is Learning Facilitation. It's a decision facilitation model called buying facilitation. And you have no idea how many hundreds of times people have said to me, oh, that's a really bad word. Nobody uses the word facilitation. It's a terrible word. Uh, now people are stealing it. I've got lawsuits going on, people thinking they can use the term whatever way they want uh, to define uh, a solution sale rather than a change management process. But um, You've earned the right to use it. <laughs> and, legally, <laughs> and, legally, and legally, I might add. The sales enablement technology is actually dooming sales. As long as salespeople continue to just focus on solution placement, technology is going to take over. I have been speaking to uh, most of the, the um, sales enablement companies, and they're absolutely delighted. I've never had calls return so, uh, so quickly. Um, they're delighted to add the piece that I have because I can help them address the buying decision journey and the human side of the decision-making and get that into the workflow. So... I'm, I figure if salespeople don't want to do this, which a lot of them don't, um, then at least I can work with the technology companies. That mm-hmm. said, I think it's vital that salespeople start adding the decision facilitation, the buying facilitation front end, otherwise they're going to be out of a job. When I coined the term buying facilitation, as I was starting to say before, 
I was trying to get a word, a term that was not sales because I'm doing change management, and I couldn't use the term change management or decision facilitation, and I coined that term. There was no such term until I developed that term. And I had to move it a step away from sales without being too far. And I didn't want to call it buyer facilitation because it's not about the buyer because we don't even always know who the buyer is. There's usually so many of them. But the buying decision. So I'm facilitating the buying decision. And calling it buying decision facilitation was too much, so I just called it buying facilitation. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, it belongs in sales enablement. Yes, it's a natural fit. Yes, it's starting to happen already, and I'm very excited about it. Well, I'm excited, too, because uh, especially with content marketing, you can put out a lot of content, and companies do. They put out a a lot of different resources, white papers, case studies, uh, all kinds of things, and that doesn't necessarily increase their sales. Right. And it completely makes sense why. That's right. Because content is the very last thing that the buyer needs. If if, uh, if you and your husband are fighting about whether or not you want to move and you want to move to a different place so you can travel better and he's traveling just fine, thank you, and you want a house in the country and he wants a house in the city, me showing up as a real realtor with great houses is the last thing, is the last thing you want. If mm-hmm. If I'm showing up with a gym membership and you're 30 pounds overweight, and you haven't already decided that it's time to lose weight or it's time to get up at 5.30 in the morning and convince your spouse that they have to get up to feed the kids because you're going to the gym. Until you figure all that stuff out, me having a cheap gym membership doesn't matter. The very mm-hmm. last thing that the buyer needs is the content, and, this, and the sales job only focuses on just that and ignores the rest. So I think that sales has to change and start adding this decision facilitation model. They're talking about the buying process a lot, but they're still focusing only on the solution end, not the uh, the soft side of the human issues. What type of uh, projects are you working on right now, or where are you putting your energy? Frankly, I am designing software, um, and um, I've developed a pocket decider, Mm-hmm. Uh, to give to salespeople, put on iPads, iPhones, where they can have sales recovery or objection handling, and all the buying facilitation material is in there. They can just press a button and get the right sentence and get the right question and get the right summary statement. It's all in there. And the steps that they should be seeing happening at each uh, each connection. So I've got that going on, and I also have a site navigation tool to sit on the front of websites to teach buyers how to get what they want out of a site. So I'm developing those, and I'm also working with the sales enablement companies. And and I'm always working with licensees um, to teach them the model so they can teach it around the world. Believe it or not, I have no licensees teaching this stuff in America outside of me. Mm -hmm. And I would love love to have some people in America uh, license this material and start training it. So if people want to find out more about you, where should they look? Do you have a website? I have a few. NewSalesParadigm.com mm-hmm. is my main website. SharonDrewMorgan.com is my fun blog. You've seen my blog, right? Yes, I have, and that's Morgan with an E, correct? Yes, Morgan with an E, although we have it set up, so if they do it with an A by mistake, it still gets there. Um, okay. My, my blog is kind of fun. 
Um, yes, your blog is very fun. Uh, today I have a today. Today's Cranky Tuesday. I get more readers for Cranky Tuesday than I do <laughs> for all the good stuff. So today it's about how hot it is in Austin. So I'm being cranky today about the heat. Uh, <laughs> but um, so com, newsalesparadigm dot com, um, and my my new book, Dirty Little Secrets Book dot com. That talks okay. about new. Dirty Little Secrets is a wonderful book. It's it's the first time that I was able to really put everything I'm thinking and all of the material in a book. Um, so it's a it's a pretty neat book if people want to take a look at DirtyLittleSecretsBook.com. It's a fantastic resource, and uh, I was just reading another book by Christopher Ryan called How to Create an Unstoppable Sales and Marketing Machine, and he has a phrase in there that he says, you know, if you're there's a difference between playing to win and playing to not lose. And if you are a marketer who is not really playing to win, you might not care about this stuff. But I think anybody who's genuinely interested in increasing revenue for their company and supporting their CEO's goals is going to be very um, interested in what you have to say in your book, Dirty Little Secrets. So let me give out that title again. It's Dirty Little Secrets, Why Sellers Can't Sell and Buyers Can't Buy and What You Can Do About It. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay. I am so, so glad that you could join us, Sharon Drew, and I just have to say thank you again. Thank you so much. This was a fun interview, Kimberly. You have been listening to IT Market Buzz with your host, Kimberly Duran. Please visit our sponsors at www.copypunch.com.